everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Granite Town Media's Inside Milford. My name is Tim Finan, and I'll be your host for today's episode. My guest this week is Milford's town clerk, Joan Dargy. In many ways, our town clerk is the face of town hall. For most of us, the primary reason for coming to town hall is to register your vehicle, get a marriage license, register to vote, or even register your dog, all of which are done by the town clerk's office. The town clerk has many other roles as well, not the least of which is being an election official, working with our town moderator to ensure that our elections run smoothly. Welcome, Joan. Thank you for coming today. Thanks, Tim, for having me. I just wanted to start, uh, talk high a little about your position a little bit. How would you describe the duties, just in general, what are the duties of the town clerk? Well, one of the things is I think it's good to point out that a lot of people don't realize is the town clerk's an elected position, not an employee of the town. It's the only position in town hall where you're an elected. Um, yeah, I was I was going to get to that. I guess it's nuanced, but strictly speaking, you are an employee of town hall, right? You're on the payroll. Do you get benefits from town hall? Do get benefits. Okay, so and that has to be voted in by the by the residents. But strictly speaking, you're not an employee, other than how you get paid. Right. Right. And, like you can't. Like be fired. you don't have a boss. Yeah, right. You can't, you can't be, be fired, fired unless you go crazy. And so the town clerk has a lot more duties than I realized when I first became town clerk. So how long has it been? Four years? Didn't Four you just, years. Okay, so you just, what, last March in, in 2019? No. Was the beginning of the fourth year. The beginning of the fourth year, okay. Yeah. And uh, so a town clerk has multiple responsibilities, um, registering motor vehicles. Uh, the other thing to point out is that a lot of towns – town clerk's responsibilities are different. So towns can determine what the clerk is responsible for. Oh, really? Right. So in a lot of towns, tax collector does motor vehicle registrations. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, the, in Bedford, for example, the town clerk just does elections and dog licensing. That is all they do. So who does marriages over there? The, um, that is done by the tax collector's office. Interesting. I mean, they, they are, some things are defined and they have to remain, like uh, records. And then city, and then you have city clerks, and city clerks do different jobs as well. All right, well, let's talk about you. Yep. What do you do? So we do motor vehicle registrations. Um, we are the keeper of the records and vital records. So and by vital records, they're talking about marriage. marriage, divorce, birth, and death records. Okay. Um, I got some questions about those, but we'll get to that. We also do um, dog licensing um, and then elections, of course. So elections, it encompasses every aspect of the elections from registering candidates to uh, taking voter registrations to absentee voter requests. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm going to get into all of that stuff. Okay. What are the hours these days? 8 to 4.30, five days a week. Uh, Tuesdays, we go 8 to 6.30. And we do not close for lunch. And so that's one of the things that you changed, right? Correct. What else have you changed? But from a customer-facing from a, point of view, the hours? I think the hours was the big thing because we used to be open 8 to 3, and then Tuesdays we'd be open 8 to, 8 to 3, and then we'd close and reopen at 4.30 to 6.30. So yeah, basically what I did was just changed it so that we're open 8 to 4.30, the same hours that town halls open, which, which does mean sense. that we do have to – we close at 4.30. We're still here for another – half hour to an hour depending on how the day went because mm-hmm. you have to reconcile all the transactions of the day. Okay, so we were just talking about the fact that you're you're actually elected, that you're not 
you're not a town employee strictly, but you are paid through the town. So how, if you're not, if you're elected, how is your salary determined? I don't wanna know how much you make, but how is that determined? So it's done by the budget. So okay. the town clerk submits to the budget committee what their salary would be. And then that is submitted, the budget committee, if they agree with that, they submit it to select board. And if it is approved in the budget, it stays in the budget. Going forward, that you that pretty much just happened the first year that, so I guess one thing to explain is that a lot of town clerks are paid by fees. And what happens is, is once the fees become like, um, in some towns in, and in even in Milford, the fees that the town clerk would be collecting would be over $100,000. So when it gets to that point, they say, are, you know, somebody looks at it and says, eh, the town clerk should probably be paid a, a salary. So you're not saying you, you're not worth a hundred thousand dollars? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what's fair to the residents of the town right. for what somebody should get paid? So there are still towns where people are getting paid over a hundred thousand in fees. Really? Yep. And um, and a lot of those are coming back and they're turning it into a, a salary. And and but that with that when you get when you switch and you get paid by salary, then you're also in get the benefits. So in a lot of cases, that is. Worth and, it and that's up to, to the voters, that. not Correct. the select. That's up to the voters. So the so it gets it, the initial year it becomes a warrant article, and then from that point on, the salary is pretty much handled as a you know you get your cost of living two percent if the budget passes. If the mm-hmm. budget passes, the town clerk doesn't get a raise just like everybody else. Now, if for some reason the budget committee and the select board did not agree on the salary that the town clerk has submitted, then they can place it. That's the only position that can be placed as a separate warrant article for the voters to specifically vote on the, the salary of that position. Oh, interesting. Separately. <clears throat> we talked about changes that you made. One one new change is the you moved your office from to the left of when you come in town hall to the right when you come into town hall. What was the reason for that? That was more of a community development needed some room. Tax collector was over in community development. Um, it makes sense for the tax collector to be over closer to finance, mm-hmm. whereas where they have to submit their paperwork it also allowed tax collectors by themselves it allows for people in finance to assist when the tax collector has to go make bank deposits mm-hmm. so that, that the sense. so that the office is not just closed so is it working out well I mean, you've, it's been uh, there for oh a for, few months, for so. us it's wor- so the other reason we moved is that we had no security in our in the town clerk's office so if you think about it we have a lot of uh, privacy um, requirements uh, motor vehicles we're not allowed to develop information on motor vehicles. Uh, the plates have to be secured. So in the other location we were in, it was totally open. There was no door to lock at night. We had to literally put every piece of paper that we were working with on a cart and roll that cart into the vault and lock it up at night. Hmm. Um, now we have a door, multiple doors that we can lock. Um, so over in the new location is much better for safety, security. In the other position, anybody could walk up behind you at any point in time, be looking over your shoulder, reading your information that's on the screen. Yeah, or yeah. voter information too. Correct, so. yeah. So this is a much better location. So it's working wonderful as far as I'm concerned, except maybe until the HVAC gets fixed. Oh, but, is yeah. it hot over there or cold? Both. Both. <laughs> I, I will say you've got to get some better signs. There's like we, crayon we, written signs saying. Yeah, we actually are working on getting some signage. Some real signage, yes. Yeah, that's good. But, you know, we're looking at the cost. We don't want to add to the budget by making fancy signs. Well, and, and <laughs> we appreciate that. Okay, so let's let's 
dive down into some of the details of this stuff. So motor vehicle registrations. So can we do everything here now? Do we ever have to go to the DMV? You have to go to the DMV if you want veterans plates. And anything over for commercial vehicles, anything over, any well, non-commercial, commercial, anything over 26,000 pounds has to go to the DMV. But initially for veterans plates. So once a veteran has gotten a veteran plate, all the regist- renewals can be done in in town hall. So even vanity plates, you can at least apply vanity, for them we can, No, we can do van- Yeah, we're all set. A few years back, they took the vanity plates away because of the um, gentleman that wanted the cop's lie plate. Oh. <laughs> and it went to court and he ended up getting it. And then he ended up giving it back, didn't want it after he got it. But once that got resolved, they gave us the capability to um, give the vanity plates out again. So do you get to approve them? Yes. So we do the initial approving. So you have some standards that you're supposed to go by, supposedly? It's called common sense, but yes, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) I mean, you can't use any, uh, you know, you're not supposed to use any words that relate to bodily functions. So that's probably the most obvious one. Mm -hmm. There are some surprising ones that have come back and been asked to be for residents to change them, to give back to the state. Because so basically, if somebody's driving around and they see a vanity plate that they feel offended by, they can report it. Okay. And once it's reported, the person gets a letter and is asked to give that plate back. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting. Yeah. So one of them, Governor Sununu, recently overruled and he let the person keep it. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that the one that was in the paper recently? Like um, P before we go? Yes. Yes. P before we go or P before you go or something like that. Yeah. And they got that back. Okay, so uh, walk me through. I, I buy a new car. What is it I need to do? What do I need to bring in? How do I get that registered? You need to bring the title or the title application and your license. Title application, and, your, and, and that's all you need to bring in? Or the title, right. Okay. Title app or the title on your license. And how much does it cost? It depends on the weight of the vehicle, the year of the vehicle, the, um, the manufacturer's suggested retail price, and when your birthday is. Your so birthday because it gets prorated. Correct. Okay. So people all the time call and ask us, how much is it going to cost me to register a 2020 Ford Taurus? And we have to tell them we can't tell them. And it's hard to give people estimates. If it's an older car, you can kind of give an estimate because once a car, after it's five years old, it, so a vehicle from when it's new goes down in, in price for five years. And it's not that the value of the vehicle goes down. It is that the mill rate that's charged by the year goes down. So what, why can't you tell them over the phone? I well, mean, we, I get we, that's we not ha- a good we idea. Have to, we can't. With that information, we can't. So we would, we would have to have a lot more information. We would need the VIN number. Okay. And then if it's a new vehicle, you know, you, you put in the VIN number and nothing comes up. So then you've got to go to Google search and try to figure out and then you're like is it an x an xl an xls okay. is it a sometimes you put in a vehicle and 15 different options come up with 15 different manufacturers suggested retail price so mm-hmm. so it's much better to have the paper and and every time we try to help people and you know it never fails we give an estimate and maybe we gave it to them on the 28th of november and you're not paying attention and they come in to register in December and it's a different rate and then the other thing is what can really affect it is you're within five months so you we can't do a registration for any less than four months so if you're five months away from your birth date you can get a five-month registration 
if you come in within four months of your birthday, you get a 16-month registration. It's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And then people come in and they're like, well, you gave me a quote and said it was going to be this much. Why is it like? <laughs> so anyway, that's why we, in general, I do not like to give estimates over the phone. So that's interesting. You said it's based on the manufacturer's suggested retail price. Correct. So like if I get a good deal, I'm going to pay on what I should have gotten? Correct. Um, and that's the only way to make it even across the board. Because Makes it, sense. Right. Because if you come in, you get a, a 2019 truck, and your neighbor buys the exact same truck. Just because you were able to finagle a better deal with a trade-in or something, and your neighbor couldn't, you need to pay the same, the same amount. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That must be difficult for used cars. How do you how do you calculate the? So a lot of well, the Google help Google search helps a lot, but also those vehicles were put if they were if it's a New Hampshire vehicle, it was put in when it was bought when it was purchased, so that MSRP tracks it all the way through. So when it gets re-registered, it just pops up with what it was entered when it was brand new. And then how do you prorate or how do you? It goes by the mill mill rate. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So after five years, once a vehicle is okay. five years old, the amount that you pay for the registration is fixed. It doesn't change. Now, the okay. ones that are difficult to do are the antiques. So somebody comes in with a 1946 Ford, and we have to figure out what the MSRP was in 1946. Wow. And also the weight. If they wow. don't have a title, that you know, the title doesn't have the manufacturer's suggested retail price, we will do Google searches on that. We have some old books. We have a lot of the blue books from way back when. So what about renewals? Same questions. Pretty straightforward. They can bring in their registration. But what we don't want is them to pull every registration from every car that multiple people are driving in their, their house. You can just come in with your driver's license, and we can pull up the list of vehicles. Oh, to renew them all at once, you mean? Right. So driver's license or the registration, and you can renew the vehicle. Now, do we get notified if you have a pending expiration? By email. By so we, email. We, don't, we no longer send everything out because we used to, when I first started, we would get two to 300 back in the mail every month. And wow. It's basically, so on average, we register about 1,500 vehicles a month, and out of those 1,500, 300 change. So 300 people move in and 300 cars come in and 300 cars go out. So there's always this group of 300 that doesn't get renewed. So we were sending out these renewals, spending time on paper and stamps and everything. So we just do it by email. So did you say 1,500 cars get registered a month? Right. That's the average. So what? that's like 50 a day, is that right? Yeah, it's but it, but people don't do them. At, I don't know. It's not like fifty days. Sometimes we do one hundred and twenty-five, and then another day we'll, you know, mm-hmm. we do. Oh, that's interesting. So, how much how much revenue do we get approximately? I don't know if you have the number. So it's about three million a year. Three million uh, from a year. Vehicle registrations. Yes, vehicle registrations. We actually take in four million, but one million of that goes to the state. So yeah, actually, yeah, I meant to ask you that. How is the sp- split between town and state determined? So the There's state two different fees. I know state fees fees are fixed. Okay, so and right. it goes by weight. So the state collects the the fees by the weight of the vehicle. Okay, and and the state's the smaller one usually. Correct, and that's why it's like twenty five percent. Basically, I, I did the numbers this morning for last year, and it looks like it's twenty five percent goes to the state, seventy five to us. So we have about three million dollars a year in revenue from motor vehicles. Correct. That's a lot of revenue on a fourteen million dollar budget. The town, the town budget. Correct. I mean, the yeah. town budget. Yeah. So that so that's interesting. It's also so you've only been here four years. Is right. that what you said four years, and it's been fairly good times in those four years. I think 
if I remember back. So I would think that that number could really fluctuate dramatically if the economy turns south. Right. It's it's actually in the four years it's been going up. It's been increasing. We it goes up seven to ten percent a year. But it could turn around badly. I mean, in a, in a recession, people decide they got to keep their cars. Correct. And then yeah. it goes yeah. down. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question that I, I know the answer to. Okay. If I register my car, am I automatically registered to vote? Nope. A lot, because I know a lot. A lot of states do do that. Yes. And, a lot and you and of I Massachusetts both know, is one of them. You and I both right. know that we are at elections, and we'll get to that later. Right. A lot of people think that that they register their car. Right. But when they do come into town hall, because you have to. St- so the difference on, uh, for example, the difference between Massachusetts and New Hampshire. So Massachusetts registers to people to vote when they register the car because in Massachusetts you don't go to your town clerk to register your car. So the, uh-huh. so a difference is that you have to come into our office initially to register your car. You have to. For renewals, you can do them online. That's mm-hmm. true. But if you're coming, so any new residents that come in to register the car we also say, do you want to register to vote while you're here? Because this is where you register to vote. So the need for being needing to do that. It might actually make it more confusing. I think it's a lot busier at the DMV. I wouldn't want to have to go to register to vote at the DMV. No, I agree with that. So vital records. So we said earlier that's birth, death, marriage, and divorce. Is that really the? Yeah. Do you personally issue a marriage license? Yes. So you do. So you a, sign the marriage right. license. Right. So a couple comes in. <clears throat> Um, they can be out of state, but they're getting married in New Hampshire. They can be mar- getting married anywhere in New Hampshire, and they can come in and get a marriage license in our office. Do they have to be a, re- a resident They of do not have to be a resident of really? New Hampshire. Really? So anybody can get a marriage license in any town in New mar- Hampshire to be married anywhere? In New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. Right. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So if you're getting married in New Hampshire, you have to get your marriage license in New Hampshire, and you can get it, ma- you can get it in any town hall. Uh, we tend to get a good number of marriage licenses. We probably average two a week right now, really? a little bit more than two a week. And I don't know if it's our hours. A lot of town halls require appointments to get a marriage license. We do not. You mm-hmm. can walk in. Hmm. The worst ones are when they walk in at 6.30 on a Tuesday night, and they're getting married the next Saturday, and then you feel bad, and you say, okay, we'll stay and do that. But it takes about a half an hour to get a, to fill out the paperwork for a marriage license. So do you find is it typically Milford residents? No, we we get a lot of really? Boston, a lot of Massachusetts. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Kind of makes the, which is going to be a question I'm going to ask you in a little bit, kind of makes what those numbers really mean kind of weird. Like, what does the number mean? If, if, you, if, you, if you did, what did you say, one or two a week? Yeah, so about, if, average about two a week. Two a week. Yeah. So let's say you did 100 marriage licenses in one year. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean 100... Residents, Residents now, got married. It doesn't mean 100 wedding ceremonies were performed. It does mean 100, but not in town. Not in town. Right, right. Because we put that number in the town report every year. Right. But we also put in how many actual residents got married. Oh, okay. That year. So you do keep that number. Yes. So that's yep. interesting. Yep. Okay, so that's, so that's easy because you do the paperwork. How do you find out about births and deaths and divorces? So Vital Records maintains those records. And so, for mean, example... Concord, you're talking Concord. about. Concord, yep. So if... Um, so all of that information, and that's a lot of people when uh, they fill out the marriage license, for example, there's a lot of other info in there, and um, and that is for vital records to keep statistics. Like they take okay. it on age, for example. You know, how old, what's the oldest resident that got married? Actually, we had, I think it was the oldest male and the youngest female that got married. We had 
that in Milford was really? one of those statistics that they were it was okay. the largest age difference between the between the couple getting married. So if if a baby gets born a Milford resident, baby's born in St. Joe's in Nashua, that goes to Concord first and they send it to you? Co- or do you not correct. get that? Well, we could we could print it out. Okay. Yeah, we can we can get the you report get on yeah, on how many it's the same thing with deaths, for example. Okay. If people passed away around the state, we'll get notified. If they're a Milford resident? If, if they're a Milford resident, right. Unless they get married, somebody were to be born or um, out of state, we wouldn't necessarily, we don't mm-hmm. get that record. Right. Yeah. What if somebody from Amherst had a baby at the birthing cottage here? So that's the other thing. So Milford's kind of unique in that we have a birth cottage, which there's only two of them in the state of New Hampshire. Oh, wow. So we have to, so when when a baby's born in the hospital, they have a, a person whose job it is to, to do the birth certificates. When a baby is born at the birth cottage, they actually have to come to see us. They have to bring the baby because the baby was not born in a hospital. If they're born at home in Milford or at the birth cottage, they actually have to bring the baby and the paperwork to us. Really? Physically? And Yep. And we certify that the baby does exist and was born and then we send the paperwork to um, Concord to be processed Interesting. so and we probably do about a hundred of uh, again that's about an average of two a week for hmm. babies being born in town and and those are interesting because a lot of the babies are live in Massachusetts that are coming up to the birth cottage to be born huh. so do we distinguish between the the out-of-state person that comes that's done in Concord, done in Concord. so Concord when they they do that part of their statistical data. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so then you don't really do anything with the data because it's coming to you from the state. The state already has. So we verify that everything's been filled out. Okay. We're at that point, and we verify that we've seen the baby. And then once we verify that, we that myself, the town clerk, certifies that all this information is correct. Um, and then we send it to Concord, and the Concord enters it into the system. Hmm. That's interesting. All right, dogs. Do we only register dogs? Do we register all pets? Just dogs. Just dogs. And how many dogs are there? Right around 2,000. There's actually 2,500 in town. 500 are still negligent on registering. And the 2,000 are registered right now. Now, How would you know that? How would you know that? Because the, um, so by law, every veterinarian is required to send to the clerk's office any dog that has received a rabies shot. So we get a record every time a rabies shot is administered, it is sent to our office. So the only dogs we would know about are the people who are not actually taking their dogs for their shots. Mm-hmm. So how many do you say? 2,000 dogs? 2,000 are registered. There's actually 2,500 in town, and we have 500 that haven't registered yet. a lot of yet. dogs. We should have like a dog yeah. day down at Keys Field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everybody to bring their dog. So we see, them, we see most of the dogs because Claire has treats for them. And she she tells everybody to bring their dogs in. And we have a lot of dogs that come right in the office. They know where the cabinet. They know the cabinet that has the treats wow. in it, and they sit right there waiting for Claire ne- to give I've them. I've never their brought treats. Abby in here. We're going to have to bring Abby yeah. in. <laughs> so okay. So and and how much is the registration for those? I know it's different for neuter. So for a, for a neutered spade neuter dog, it's six dollars and fifty cents a year. Uh, non spade or neutered, it's nine dollars a year. And what the difference, that? the fees. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year, something like that. Do the math in my head. Yeah, except that two dollars and fifty cents of the six fifty goes to the state. Oh. 
of course. So how much, so between cars and all these various fees, how much uh, revenue do you generate about a 3 million registration? I mean, that's, uh, that's the line share of it right there, 3 million. Yeah, the 3 million is, is the bulk of it. Four million is our total revenue, so. Oh, okay, so that's my four million total. But it's not, that's with the state fees that go in there. Okay. All right, let's move on to election stuff, election duties, because you are. Oh, the said, other thing you missed, so uh-oh. non-election stuff, that the town clerk is technically by RSA 39 responsible for record keeping. Record, that's kind of Town generic. minutes. Minutes of like town meetings or all minutes of all. So Dependent on the town, they can vote who they want to be responsible for the individual minutes for like zoning board, planning board, mm-hmm. um, selectmen's minutes, um, things like that. And at some point in time, that had been done in Milford. But for all of the records, but technically by RSA 39, it's the town clerk who's, who's so, supposed to be the lead of the record retention committee. Okay. And to verify that everybody is following the regulations. So that would be minutes of meetings uh policy documents correct it's it's everything it's it's again reports everything right plus all of our historical information going back to when we um when the town was chartered Mm -hmm. started collecting minutes of records i mean uh, you know people talk about dog licensing for example we have records back to the 1800s when the when people were required to register their dogs. Really? <laughs> and, wow. you know, over 100 years later, we still have people, like, going, why do we have to register our dog? <laughs> or I didn't know we had to register our dog. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's oh, interesting. That's just... The other thing was that, um, so we so we have records in the vault going back to the 1700s. I, two years ago, I applied for a moose grant and got $10,000 for preservation of those records. So moose grant will preserve records that are non-vital records. So town meeting minutes, um, there used to be a poll tax. Uh, there, we have a lot of poorhouse records that are pretty interesting. We used to have a poorhouse in town. Wow. Do you know where the poorhouse was? I know of a couple over in Amherst. I didn't know there was one here in yeah, Milford. Yeah, we had one in Milford. Interesting. Uh, so you say preserve. Do you mean like digitize or like physically preserve the, both, the, the parchment? Both. both. So when I get, so for the 10000 that we got in the Moose Grant, we took our oldest records, which is actually the incorporation of um, Milford when it broke off from Amherst and that formed the town. That was actually in a book called the South Parish Church Minutes. Hmm. And... Um, we, those are preserved and they're digitized. And actually, Chris is going to um, get those online so that because once they're digitized, Chris it, Gentry, yep, is going to get them online for me at some point, and uh, so people can download all the records. We did um, the, the two oldest books that we did, and they're also now all in mylar encased. And so if somebody does want to come, those records are easy to let somebody peruse through because they're protected from any damage that's really point. interesting do you work closely with the historical society at all they've been in multiple times to look through records for different information that they're trying to find yeah, hmm. yeah. that's interesting i don't know if you attended that thing up in town hall a couple of weeks ago with the civil war guy yeah we it was our late it was a tuesday night our late night uh-huh. so but that was really that. interesting because they had yeah. they were searching records for this guy yeah that was yeah. really interesting Oh, cool. So I, d- I didn't know that part. So I learned learned something new. So I, and, and you keep it all here in the vault. Yep. So I have another batch of records that I'm going to go to for another grant this year coming up. And the uh, grant you can get on anything, but you can't get it on vital records. So marriages, birth, you, deaths, we have to pay for to preserve those. 
but mm-hmm. anything other than that can get preserved. And, you know, some of the books are they're really cool. They're like leather bound and on parchment paper. And oh, isn't the book that you have to when you uh, sign up to run for public office? Isn't that an old? That's a that's an old one. Not there are there are older. Harry Potter book yeah. Open up and <laughs> Basically, <laughs> pull out a pen and quill and sign your name up. I think that one only goes back to like 1920s or so. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not that old, but there are older ones too for that same thing. Oh, oh, the other thing. Oh, well, we'll go ahead. Talk. I was going to say the other book that I found that I found was very interesting, and this kind of leads into elections, is that years ago when people would register to vote, they would register the women and the men separate. So yeah. there's the women's book and there's the men's book. It is interesting, and I found that interesting. So okay, so let's 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 talk about elections a little bit. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail because we could go into a lot of detail, and, and we already we already did an episode about this. So. I, I guess, like, what are your duties for elections? You know, how, do, how does your duties differ from the town moderator? So the biggest thing is registering. I mean, it's registering the voters or accepting the registrations because my duty is that it's the checklist supervisors that actually register the voters. But as far as accepting the registrations, um, we do that in the clerk's office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we hand it off to the checklist supervisors, and they're the ones to approve the registrations, making sure that the information is correct so who budgets for the elections is that it must be you because the moderator doesn't have a budget as far as i know correct and then and anybody any of the paid elected officials also that comes under my budget and i'm responsible for that which which uh varies dramatically based on the number of elections obviously this year we had one right 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 we had one this year next year i think we'll have four four yeah. So that would make a budgeting a, a, a difficulty. Okay, so okay, so you do the, the registrations. You accept yeah. the registrations on behalf of the checklist supervisors. Absentee voting. Absentee voting. So if somebody, we are responsible for the absentee voting. Um, so somebody uh, how's, how's that work for someone who is not aware of absentee so they're voting? Gonna be, so you can get request an absentee ballot if you're going to be out of town, if you anticipate you're going to be out of town, if you have... Um, other obligations, uh, family members that need to be cared for that is not going to allow for you to get out, which includes children. For example, we've had many snowstorms, and one of the reasons for not that you could use for not being able to get to the voting is a disability that just in driving. I mean, just mm-hmm. if you feel uncomfortable in driving through a snowstorm to get to voting, you qualify as being able to consider that a disability. Okay, so um, that is has that because I know that was summer controversial. Right. Was it this year or last year? It was. I think it was, la- was it last year? It snowed. What two, two years ago? Two years I think ago. It was two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know different clerks in different towns had different opinions. Opinions on that of matter. that. Right. Um, and 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 the Secretary of State's office clarified it and said, you know, it is if you consider that you can't drive during that is a disability. If mm-hmm. you children are home from school and you can't get out and you don't want to put everybody in a car in harm's way during a snowstorm that's a disability Mm -hmm. that's a perfect legitimate reasons for getting and we don't want anybody to come out and get hurt just because they feel that you know that they really could make it but you don't want to get hurt and i and i and, and pete and i were there in that blizzard that was going on and during one of the elections and it was totally whiteout conditions and people showed up Mm -hmm. to try to vote um and you really don't want that you want everybody to be safe but we also want everybody to be able to vote so as far as that goes that you request an absentee ballot through our office you can do it by mail um, as long as you're a registered voter actually even if you are not registered to vote but you supply us the information to prove that you are qualified to vote in town you can submit 
a request for an absentee ballot and register to vote at the same time. Okay. Let's say I'm going to be out of town or business. Yep. So I can come in physically in a town hall and get a ballot. Well, or fill out, you fill out the form. Fill out the, the ballots form. may or may not be available at that point in time. Okay. If they that are available, sense. we'll hand it to you. If they're not available, we'll mail it to you when they, when they do become okay. available. And then you fill out when you get around to it or whatever. When you have time, you fill out your ballot and mail it back? Right. The resident fills out their ballot. They can either mail it back or they can return it in person. So if you know you're going to be out of the town on the day of voting, but you're there, but you're in town the week before, you can fill out your ballot and then turn it in. Now, those do, ballots do not get processed at that point in time. They do not get processed until Election Day. Okay. And we are required by law to wait till 10 o'clock before we can process ballots in the morning, which gives people a t- chance to come in and vote in person if they choose. Okay, so if I have an absentee ballot because I thought I was going to be out of town, I filled it all out, but turns out my plans changed, I can rip that up and come in and vote if I want? Correct. Can I bring in my absentee ballot and vote? You can't bring in the absentee ballot. We have to destroy that absentee ballot, but you can vote in person. But once the absentee ballots are processed, you cannot do that. So that's why we wait till 10 in the morning, give people a few hours to decide they want to come in. But if you voted absentee, and it's been processed, you're going to get crossed off the checklist. And we had this happen. A gentleman um, showed up. He wanted to vote in person. He had forgotten that he had voted by absentee, um, and he could not vote. Okay. He did have a hard time with that, but you know, he showed up at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and the ballots had already been processed. But if he had shown up at 9 o'clock in the morning, he it would have worked voted. out for him. Correct. And you would have removed his ballot from... Correct. We would have removed that ballot, destroyed it, and he would have been able to, um, to vote. Okay, interesting. All right, so, and you mentioned before that you also will accept registrations at Town Hall. Correct. And, and regular business hours, I assume. Correct. Okay, so it's not, it's not really specifically your, your domain, but since we have a couple of important elections coming up, I just want to briefly talk about, so we've got the presidential primary coming up on February 11th. The date's finally been set. So that's going to be same hours, right, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m.? Correct. At the Milford Middle School. So because it's a primary, there's going to be there's basically two elections going on, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. So how is that going to work for registered voters if you're— So if you are registered Republican, you can only get a Republican ballot. October 25th was the last day to change your party affiliation. If you are registered Democrat, you will get a Democratic ballot. If you are registered undeclared, you can choose whichever ballot you would like. I guess there are some states that if you're undeclared, you're not allowed to vote in a primary, and New Hampshire is not one of them. So if you are undeclared, you can vote. You pick which ballot you want. So you pick a a Democratic ballot or a Republican ballot. After you voted, as you're leaving and going, leaving the um, election area, you can, there will be a table there where you can turn yourself back to undeclared. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up because a lot of people forget to do that. Uh, We actually try to remind everybody, we give little slips of paper with the um, um, slip to get a ballot that tells you to go back to the table and change your party back. Because if you, whichever ballot you selected, that's what you will remain if you do not go change yourself back to undeclared. And if you forget to do it, you still can come to town hall. You can still come to town hall at any point in time before the next election to uh, change your party. And I just want to stress what you said initially. 
if if you are currently registered because the date passed, which was September October twenty fifth, yeah. If you're if you're currently registered in either party, you have to vote. Take in, that party. You have to take that party. You can't. Right. You can actually vote for the other candidate, but it has you have to write them in on the wrong. You ballot. have to write them in on the wrong ballot. Right. right. Um, okay. So that's if you're already registered. What if you're not registered right now? If you're not registered right now, you can come into the. Um, well, right now you can come and register to vote here um, on election day. If you're not registered, you can show up at voting, and you can register to vote at voting. You're going to go see the checklist supervisors, and um, and they will get you registered to vote. And you will be able to vote at that election. Okay, so regardless of whether you're registered here or at the polls, you, you can register as Republican, Democrat, or, or undeclared. undeclared. And the rules are the same if you register undeclared. Correct. Right, if you register undeclared, you can pick either ballot. Correct. And I just will note here, just that I know, looking through the dates, if you want to register a town hall, you can only register up until, I think, the 7th, which is the Friday before, February The 7th, 7th of um, February. February, yes. Because uh, then you have to finalize the checklist. And if you miss that, you can still come and register at the polls. Correct. And then the only other deadline for registering to vote that affects anybody is if you want to be a candidate on the ballot, you... Well, not for the presidential primary. This is more for the um, for town elections. I can't run for president anymore. You you have to be. I believe it's January tenth. There's a deadline date. Maybe it's January seventh. I think it is that you have to be registered to vote by, and on the checklist if you're going to run for an office. Okay. For the town. Oh, for the town. Okay. Yeah. So that's the primary, which is February 11th, yep. Tuesday, February 11th, and the next election is the town election. Which will be March 10th. Which is March 10th. And, this, yep. and this, the same deal with registrations, you can register here Correct. prior to, I think it's March 6th, oh. so whatever the Friday is prior to the right. election. The other thing is the, um, the out-of-state military. So we have the UOCAVA um, applications, the federal postcard application. So if you are out of state during the year, you can actually register to vote and get absentee ballots. And you only have to fill out one form, um, and it'll cover you for the entire year if you're you know, out of state because of the military. So active military, yes. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and we just talked about the March election. The party is irrelevant to the March election because there's only— Correct. Well, there's two ballots, but there's a town ballot and a school ballot, but everybody gets both. Correct. Okay, um, so that was all I had. Were there any other things that you wanted to talk about? Oh, there is one other thing I wanted to talk about. So at our March election last year, um, whoever did come out to uh, vote— they would have seen that we were using the electronic poll books to instead of the paper checklist. Um, what we found at the March election is that our ballot clerks love the electronic poll books, and our residents did as well because basically you came in and you had no lines, no waiting. I've talked to the Secretary of State's office, Deputy um, Scanlon, last week, and we have been approved to use the electronic poll books for the uh, presidential primary. Wow, that's which big. Is I didn't know huge. that myself. And I'm one of the supervisors, and I didn't know that. <laughs> surprise. I wanted to surprise you, Tim. <laughs> well, what's nice about that is that um, so in the past, the checklist supervisors will spend three to four, maybe five weeks trying to reconcile the books after a presidential primary or a presidential election just because it, you know, we're, we're pushing through eight to 10,000 voters in one polling place. And um, to put that in perspective, uh, state of Rhode Island the maximum number of registered voters that they allowed it allow at any polling place is 3,500. Wow. 
So we, we've got 11,200 registered voters, which Tim is very well aware of. Mm-hmm. And know. we have one polling location, which does make it easy for the residents to know where they need to go to vote. Because if you were in Nashua, you'd, you have 26 or 28 different precincts, and you have to know which one you need to vote at. And many people show up to vote, and they're told they have to go someplace else. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Milford does one polling location is, is pretty nice. It also does mean that we are one of the largest polling locations in the United States, right, not just New Hampshire. Londonderry has 19,001 polling location, and I think Bedford is um, close to the same amount in one polling location. Mm-hmm. So what the e-poll books does is instead of our ballot clerks having to flip through multiple paper pages to find the letter of the alphabet that somebody is in, they just enter the first three letters of the last name. Basically, you can find a registered voter and get them registered to vote, and I believe it's like 25 seconds, not even 25 seconds. The hugest benefit is what people don't see behind the scenes, and that's reconciling the books after the election. And I just want to add to that, but with a primary, it's so much worse after the fact because we have to reconcile every— Undeclared that took a took a uh, Republican, Republican ballot, ballot. Every undeclared that took a, a Democrat ballot. Every absentee undeclared. That, you know, every that, permutation you can think of, we have to keep track of, and they all have to add up at the end of the night. Correct. So with the electronic poll books, um, we're hoping, as in the March election, I mean, we were reconciled in five minutes. We're hoping that the electronic poll books will do the exact same thing. They are going to track every undeclared that went to um, Republican or Democratic and absentee. Um, that will all all be tracked in there. So we're hoping that within five minutes we are reconciled. And we won't have to sit down in the basement of town hall for weeks on end, pouring through these books and finding, yep. trying to figure out, and going back to when they went back, you know how many times we have to go back to the books because a check mark wasn't made or mm-hmm. or the pencil was too light or yep. something. And, and the, the, the other thing that's good for um, listeners to understand is that the electronic poll books, when you go and you check yourself in, You are going to receive a slip of paper back that has your name on it. It's going to have your party affiliation on it or the ballot that, you know, the party ballot that you've selected. So as you as you're handed that by the ballot clerk, you can actually verify that information is correct. Verify that your address is correct, that you've got the right ballot. If for any reason, when they hand you that slip, something is incorrect in there, you're going to request to see the moderator or a checklist supervisor to get that information corrected. And and before uh, when you're doing the paper checklist, you're not reading what the ballot clerk is writing down or and you get handed a piece of paper and you walk away and you don't know that you got checked in as yourself or maybe your son or your daughter Yeah, because inadvertently they went down the line and picked the wrong person. The ruler was on the wrong line. Right. Yeah. But if you get a slip of paper and you look and you see that, oh, no, that's my son, that's not me, mm-hmm. you're able to go back and get that corrected. And, that, and that's the... That's what's so key about this. We're, yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to it. That's great. I'm glad. I, yeah. I, w- I was told by somebody, maybe you, that it wasn't looking good for a while, that we weren't going to be able to do it. So the reason is that, so we had, um, so Milford is the only town that did an official, basically you want to call it a field test. We had CyberScout here, who is a cybersecurity firm that the state has uh, selected to verify that um, that the electronic poll books are free from from any cyber attack. And what people need, so the way that we have gotten um, to be approved with that is that 
in the back of the room, people will be filling out the paper checklist. So it's not just all electronic. We are going to have a paper backup so that at any point in time these e-poll books fail. Or uh, the other thing is there's no Wi-Fi, no Bluetooth. There is no connection whatsoever to mm -hmm. our electronic checklist. It's just like having that paper ballot right. in front of them. No one's going to be able to hack in into these machines. The machines will never be left unattended. Um, and if we do the same thing we did last time, there'll be people behind them with the uh, physical checklist with the paper doing checklist the same thing. Marking, making a backup copy physical paper. So we're we're pretty covered as far as that goes. Oh, that's great. That's great news. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to that. All right, so anything else you can think of that you wanted to talk about? I Any think, suggestions on well, making their visits to town clerk a little bit smoother? Um, well, don't, don't listen. Don't wait till last day. Well, the other thing is, if you're registering a new car, don't listen to the dealer when he hands you the temporary registration. Says this is all you need to go register your new car. No, we don't even look at the temporary registration. There's not enough information on there. You need a title or a title application to register your car. Uh, but the other thing, I mean, um, that I'm sure people don't know, uh, in respect to just the town clerks, we go through a lot of training. There's a lot of extra certifications that we can get to, to make ourselves more knowledgeable because there are so many RSAs out there that we do have to be familiar with. I mean, fortunately, we have Google, so we can look up anything at any point in time, but it's good to have a basic understanding. And I did complete three-year certification, the first of a three-year certification, and I'm working on my second three-year certification Is that now. the new super well, clerk it, it, or whatever? Eventually, you can go up to a super clerk, but that's like six years, so <laughs> may may get there. We'll see. Um, and then on the other note, uh, one thing I did want to mention was um, I went to the select board last night to talk about an issue that's costing the town money right now, and that is that um, the state of Maine I don't know how many years ago they started, probably 10 years ago, they started registering trailers for any any state. And of course, um, makes sense to Maine because they're registering trailers that don't ride on their roads. So people say, well, why can Maine do it so cheaply? Well, they're doing it cheaply because it doesn't cost them anything. So basically, they'll they'll register any trailer for 10 or 15, $150 a year, and they'll register them for 5, 10, 15 years at a time. Hmm. And... Um, and the owners of these trailers can do this online, so they never even have to step foot in Maine. So they would register there instead of New Hampshire? Is that the idea? Correct. Oh, okay. So uh, I was trying to think, what's the so point? So okay. a year or two ago, I started noticing that there were a bunch of pretty good-sized trailers, trailers that get pulled by tr you know tractor trailers, mm -hmm. not being registered any longer. And then probably about six months ago, I got curious and I started looking up the um, titles for these trailers and found out that they're still titled in New Hampshire, you know, at Milford locations. So that mm -hmm. means, to, in my mind, they're still garage in Milford. So then I called the Maine um, Title Bureau, the state of Maine Title Bureau, and I called and I gave them some VIN numbers and I said, um, you know, I'd like to know if these are registered in Maine. And the gentleman I spoke with at the title bureau said, yep, they're registered in Maine. And I said, well, can you tell me if they're titled in Maine? And he said, oh, they have to be titled in Maine. So then he said, but hold on a minute, I'll get back to you. So he got back to me about a half hour later, and he said, we both learned something new today. They're not titled in Maine because they don't, they are not garaged in Maine. So, and they do not have a physical Maine address. So if you are registering a trailer in Maine and you're a resident of Maine, 
you pay five to 10 times the fees that a resident of New Hampshire pays to register a vehicle in Maine. And the way they do it is they have what's called non-governmental registering agent. So these people who have trailers in New Hampshire go to Maine to the non-governmental registering agent. They leave their title in New Hampshire and they register in Maine and get a Maine plate. Wow. And they're garaged in New Hampshire and it's illegal. And there are people that think it's legal because it's legal in Maine. Well, it's legal in Maine to register your New Hampshire vehicle, but it's not legal in New Hampshire to register a vehicle in Maine. And what Maine does is gives them the, the registering agent's address to use as an address on that registration. So the way the law exists right now, the only way to enforce this is the police, and the police can pull over the vehicle and they, they get a $100 fine. Hmm. And, and it has not been a very good enforcement. And what's unfair about that is, so you're you driving your car and you forget, you legitimately forget to register your, your car. Well, the police can see that that car has right. got a main plate on, but it's parked in a New Hampshire garage, uh, driveway, whatever, right? They'll pull you over. You're going to get a $100 fine. But this trailer that has a New Ham- a main plate on it and is garaged in New Hampshire, the police pull over and then they look at a, they look at a main address. Mm. Well, then they have to know that that's a, that you don't really have an office in Maine. And yep. So I went, I testified and went to a hearing with the legislature and made a proposal that if a trailer is has a valid title in New Hampshire, it's garaged in New Hampshire, it hasn't been registered in over a year plus 60 days, well, over a year, that we could send them a letter saying we give you 60 days to, to register this in New Hampshire. And beyond that, 60, if you don't register within 60 days, you get a fine of $10 a day per trailer hmm. for not registering. And that's pending in the House right now. So what did you ask the selectmen for? I just wanted to let them be aware of it because we, we do have companies in Milford that are, are guilty of, of this. Do you think? It, it's twenty five to 50000 a year right now. Really? That we've lost. Wow. Yeah. Well, go get it. <laughs> and, mm. and, you know, and this is going back to, I, I'm able to tell that we've, that it goes back to 2015. So if you take that twenty five to 50000 and multiply it by four to five, five yeah. years, it's quite a bit of, of revenue that the town is losing it is. to Maine. So we're, somewhere. I'm working on the lists and, and the state's going to send out letters to the um, people. And, and one thing people Good. are concerned of is say you don't have your trailer in, in use anymore. All you have to do is come in and sign an affidavit saying, I scrapped it, I right. sold it, and you and you're basically swearing that you did that, and we'll, we're gonna we're gonna honor that, and you know that's what you did with the trailer, and we're not gonna make anybody register a trailer that they really don't have. All right, good. Anything else you can think of? I think that's about it. I think it. that yeah. covered it. All right, super. Yeah. So let's wrap this up. Thanks, Joan. Thank you again for, for uh, talking with us today. You're welcome. Thank Hi. you for having me. Anytime. We'll do it. Actually, we'll do it again. I know we will. So I also want to thank Chris Gentry, our GTM Media Manager. Chris has been our audio engineer for this episode. Our theme music today was written and performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or on most of the major podcasting apps. You can also stream directly from Granite Town Media's podcast page at milford.nh.gov slash community media. As always, we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions that you may have for future episodes. We invite you to go to Granite Town Media's Facebook page or leave us a comment on our podcast page at soundcloud.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us again for another episode of Inside Milford.